All right, we're back in Hebrews. You can turn to chapter 5. We'll be finishing out chapter 5, moving a few verses into chapter 3. And the title of the sermon this morning is Spiritual Maturity. That's what the author of Hebrews is addressing here in chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 3, and following. We'll just look at up to verse 3 this morning. We'll look at the rest next week. But what's happening here is he's concerned. He's concerned these early Christians are not growing. He says, you know, you're, you're not advancing as quickly as we'd hoped. And if you don't begin to advance, if you don't begin to grow up, you could be in danger of being those he's been warning them about, who drift off into apostasy, who drift away and show that they were never really saved. They never really belonged to God to begin with. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and read uh, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. That's the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you that by your spirit we may understand it, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And God, I pray that this morning you would be pleased to use me, your servant, an imperfect man, to preach a perfect word. God, it's something I cannot do on my own. So I pray, Lord, that you would be with me now, that you would feed your sheep that are present here this morning. They would see Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so this is a, um, this is a, a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call that he's given him here. If you're not growing... You're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. You know, he essentially is telling me, he's like, listen, if you, if you don't want to get your spiritual rear end handed to you, you better eat your Wheaties. You know? Some of y'all probably don't even remember those commercials. It was a sad day. Sad day. You know, Popeye, anyone? Popeye? Had, he, to Popeye up, he had to eat his spinach, Right? This crew that the author's addressing, they're not doing what they need to do in order to grow, in order to be strong and healthy. Right? They're not eating their Wheaties. They're not eating their spinach. They're, they're not doing the simple things, and he's worried about them because he knows there's a danger to that. See how he starts here in verse 11, though, okay? Let's look back there just real quick. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. He obviously, from the start here, he wants to take them further up and further in, deeper. They've only just scratched the surface, and there's so much more that he would like for them to know. 
and experience in their walk with Christ as new creations in him, but they're just not there. They're not ready. They should be by now, but they're not. And so what's he do? He, he warns them. It's a stern warning. You know, he's playing rough with them a few times here. We said in, in a previous sermon in, in Hebrews, six, seven different warnings that he issues. He's shooting straight with them, though, right? Don't get, this, don't get the wrong picture here. This isn't the author standing behind them, cracking a whip like, mush, forward. That's not what he's doing. Good leaders don't do that, okay? Leaders lead from the front. He's, you can picture him standing in front of them saying, you can't stay here. Don't stay here. It's not safe for you here. All right, now come on, get up, dust yourself off, and I'll show you what you've been missing. You know, so, someone might say, well, that sounds awfully condescending. Sounds like he's talking down to him. That sounds condescending. Well, if it is, it's not because of the position the author is taking that he's lording himself over them. It's because of the position that the audience has already taken. They've allowed themselves to become like little children who have to be spoken down to, not in a negative way, just because there's no other way. They are where they are. They are by their laziness and spiritual matters and immaturity down here. And the author loves them enough to not leave them there. Right? That's what Jesus does with us. He comes and he doesn't meet us where he expects for us to already be by now. He meets us right where we are, but then he doesn't leave us there. He wants to bring them up. He wants to bring them up to spiritual maturity. He says, essentially, you're, you're leaving too much on the table here. I need you to see it. You're leaving a lot on the table, and it's not good for you, and it's not good for anyone else around you. It's time to grow up to maturity. What is maturity? How would we define that? What is a mature disciple? While you're thinking, I'm going to beg Foster. I would, can I, would you get me another one of these? I appreciate it. How would you define a mature disciple? Immature disciples are endangered disciples. That's a clear warning here, and we'll get into that a little bit this morning and more even so next week. But what's a mature disciple? What's a mature disciple do? Mature disciples make disciples. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. So what's the expectation there? What expectation does the author have? What does this maturity that he says they're lacking include? Teaching others, right? Why can't they do it? Because they can't teach what they don't know. And why don't they know it? Well, he says they don't listen, verse 11. They forget everything they've been told already, verse 12. They're unskilled, verse 13. And they're undiscerning, verse 14. He just described my three-year-old. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what he's saying? You're like spiritual toddlers. That's what toddlers are. They're 
undiscerning, aren't they? They don't listen. You've got to tell them everything over and over again. You don't listen. I keep having to tell you the same thing over and over again. You're unskilled. You don't, you don't contribute anything at home. We're always having to do everything for you. you you're undiscerning. You'd run out in front of a car at the grocery store if I didn't hold on to your hand. Yeah? And that's funny if you think about it. Sounds harsh even. But look, I'm not mad at my three-year-old for being a three-year-old. That's what three-year-olds do. You know? They need somebody to look out for them like that. They have to be reminded over and over and over and over again, often in the stretch of five minutes. We have a bedtime routine at home, and it, I'm floored at how I have to remind them of these same four simple steps. They go in order. Get undressed, go potty, brush your teeth, put on your pajamas. In that order, mess it up every night. It, I have to be reminded over and over again, these simple things. But I'm not mad at them for it. That's what, that's what little kids do. That's what toddlers do. But that's not going to fly when he's 16. You know? There's an expectation there that, that he's going to grow up. And it wouldn't be loving of me or responsible of me as a father to just let him stay there and coddle him in that, in his immaturity. If he doesn't grow out of that, he's going to be in for a world of hurt. And it's not easy, though, if you think about it in more just uh, practical terms. It's hard growing to maturity in a culture of immaturity. And it, it's not easy for children to become adults in a culture that wants to keep them children. Doesn't our culture do that? Doesn't our culture sort of put off adulthood for as long as possible? You know, it's an eventuality. It's got to happen sometime. So there's no need to pursue it. No need to rush into these things. You would think adulthood is a sentence the way that we treat it these days. Putting off adulthood and having responsibility as long as you can and just enjoy your youth. That's, that's a message that our culture sends. And what happens is we're left with very few role models for young people. All of the influencers are all abstaining from adulthood themselves, and so, so are all the people that they're influencing. Something similar is taking place among these early Christians the book of Hebrews is written to. Their spiritual condition is not great. They are not growing up. Their growth is stunted. And because it's so widespread among them, because this is the norm, there just aren't many good influences. That's not healthy, not for the individuals involved and not for the church as a whole. <clears throat> it's been long enough that by now many of them, he says, should be teaching others so that the church can grow, so that it can flourish. But everyone's just kind of phoning it in and just coasting along. Coming to church on Sunday, letting what they hear go in one ear and out the other. They keep coming but they keep having to be reminded of the same things over and over and over and over again. They never get anywhere. There's a foundation that's been set, and it's a good one, right? There's nothing wrong with the foundation, and there is no better foundation. It's there. It's solid, but no one's building anything on it. That's a bad sign. That's what the author says. It's a bad sign. You need to know immature disciples 
are endangered disciples. They're at risk of extinction. That's the first point. Immature disciples are endangered disciples. Think of it this way. Spiritual maturity is not an accident, right? You know, it's not something that just happens as time passes. Again, enough time has passed by now, the author says, that they should be teaching others. And look, just get this too. It's not that he's just disappointed that that's not the case by now. He is, right? He's, he's worried. He's like, you should be farther along than you are. So there's some level of disappointment, but he's also really concerned for their spiritual well-being. You see that, don't you? He's concerned as a result. Remember several weeks ago, we talked about apostasy and the, the author's warning them of that. And he does so several times, as I mentioned already, throughout the book of Hebrews. And remember, we said apostasy is not someone losing their salvation, right? We've been over that. That, that. That's not the danger that he's warning against here. That can't happen, if you remember, okay? You can't undo Christ's sacrifice for you. If he shed his blood for you, you can't undo that. You are saved indeed, and he will preserve you to the end. You know, he says in John chapter 10, doesn't he? He says, I lay down my life for my sheep, not somebody else's sheep, my sheep, the ones that he was sent to save. I lay down my life for them and no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's the kind of assurance we have. So we're not, we're not talking about, when we talk about apostasy, we're not talking about losing your salvation. And we're not even talking about an immature Christian who can't get his act together. There, there's that too. But that's not apostasy either. There's still hope for people like that. Hence the warning. That's why the warning. There's hope for people like that who are stunted in their growth, who aren't coming along as they should. That's who the warning's for. An apostate, y'all, is someone who looked like a Christian, said they were a Christian, walked, talked, and quacked like a Christian, but in the end, they turn out to not be a Christian. And what the author is doing here is he's saying, listen, I'm just telling you, you've got some earmarks some indicators of apostasy, things that eventually lead to apostasy. This is how it happens. You have all of the raw ingredients. Dull of hearing, verse 11. You forget everything you've been told already, verse 12. You're unskilled, verse 13, and you're undiscerning, verse 14. It doesn't look like any of this is sticking. That's what he says. Okay? And it's not a good sign. And he's not trying to beat them down. He's not trying to bully them. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to lift them up from where they are. You know, he's shooting straight with them. He's saying their spiritual immaturity is evident. He can see it. He notices it. And that it can lead to apostasy, and that's dangerous. So don't do that. Right? That's the warning. As I said, it's dangerous to the individual, and it's dangerous to the church as a whole. Well, how? Here's how. What happens when somebody just up and decides, I don't believe the Bible anymore, I don't, I don't believe in all that stuff, I'm out of here, and they storm out? They don't go quietly, do they? They rarely leave by themselves. It's not enough for them to reject Christ privately. They have to try to take as many people with them as they possibly can. I mean, have you not seen that happen? You know, that's why we get all the warnings that we do from like Paul and Peter 
John and their letters about false teachers. These are apostates. Looked like us, talked like us, but went out from us because they were not of us. Warnings like this, y'all, be sure to catch this, okay? Warnings against apostasy are serious, but they're general. They're always very general. They're broad. They're issued to everyone in the church as a whole and not just a select few so that those who are true believers hear them and stay the course so that they grow up, so that they do mature. When we get warnings like this in Scripture, we have to realize these warnings are for us, okay? We, you know, we can't read warnings like this and then, you know, pretend like that's for somebody else. You know, that, that's, that obviously applies to somebody else but not me. No, they're for people who say they are Christians. They are for people who believe they are Christians. They are for people who are, in fact, Christians. See, warnings like this are a means that God uses to keep his people on track. That's what good, loving warnings are, right? You, you think you can tell somebody, hey, you keep showing up to work late, they're gonna, you're going to lose your job. You keep speaking to your wife the way that you are, she's not going to respect you, she's going to resent you. It's a warning. You keep running with that crowd that you are, I can promise you they're going to bring you down a whole lot faster than you can bring them up. It's a warning. These are warnings that keep people on track. We might not like hearing them, but they are intended to help us and to protect us, not to hurt us. When someone brushes off the warnings, that's what's concerning. When someone waves them off, brushes them off, that's concerning. Disregarding the warnings shows a lack of maturity. Heeding these warnings and taking them seriously shows a right spiritual condition. There's hope for those tender souls who receive the correction, who receive the admonishment. That's a teachable spirit and a mark of spiritual maturity, see? But let's look for a minute at some of these things he's dinging them with that he says are marks of their spiritual immaturity. We've mentioned them already, but verse 11, he says, they're dull of hearing. They don't listen. A good translation there is lazy in listening. He starts out the verse saying, about this we have much to say. In other words, I could go on a lot more about what I've been telling you. We could get more into this Melchizedek thing that I just mentioned in verse 10. And he does. He gets into that later in chapter 7, okay? But he's, he's basically saying, I, I could drop some deep theological stuff on you right now that, was, that is amazing, that would blow your minds, but I can't do it because you wouldn't understand it's hard to explain because you're dull of hearing. Not because they're not smart. He didn't say that. It's not because it's too much for them. It's not as though the content, the things that he wants to be able to share with them are just too hard to be understood. It's because they are dull of hearing. Just lazy and listening. He says, I would tell you, but you haven't learned to become a good listener. You hear, but don't listen. You hear great things of God and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But you appear to be numb and indifferent to what you're hearing. 
let's apply that for a second. Do you... I'll turn the other way. Do you zone out when you listen to sermons? Do you hear them without listening? Now, could it be... Could it be a better preacher? Sure, I'll take that. But as long as it's the word of God that's being preached, it deserves your attention, does it not? And if it doesn't have your attention, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity at a minimum. And a sign of poor spiritual health at its worst. For someone who claims to be a Christian to hear the word of God and to say, meh, it's a bad sign. That's what he's saying. Or, you know, maybe you come, maybe you listen, but you go away and you forget what you hear, and so it doesn't make any difference in your life. That's the next thing that he says in verse 12, that they're forgetful. Okay? Though they should be teachers by now, he says, they need to be taught again the basics they have to be taught the same things all over again, and we can't ever really get anywhere because you don't move on from the basics. He's saying you shouldn't just be farther along in your understanding by now. You should be helping others understand by now. Mature disciples make disciples. You should be teaching others by now. You've been receiving and not giving because you keep forgetting everything that you received. So what's happening here is a failure to launch. We're all familiar with that term, right? The birds won't leave the nest. They just hang around, taking up room, eating up all the food, living in their parents' basement. <laughs> They're unskilled, he says there, verse 13. They should be able to handle meat, but he keeps having to give them milk. And Paul says the same thing to the church in Corinth. That's one reason, by the way, just as an aside, I think the author of Hebrews is probably Paul. We don't know for sure. So we've just been calling him the author of Hebrews, right? There's nothing wrong with not knowing for sure. Scholars have their theories, but it could be Paul. That's one of the theories. And it sounds like Paul here. He says somewhere else, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. That's in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3. That's what the author of Hebrews says here. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. What if I were to ask you, it's one of those hard questions. This is one of those things that's good to mull over. You know, and here, here's the thing. I'm going to say like five, six, seven more sentences and you're going to forget I said this one. So it could be one of those things that you write down and come back to later and think about. Okay? How much would you say you've progressed spiritually in the past six months? How about in the past 12 months, year and a half? In that time, have you been, how carefully have you been listening to what you're being taught just here on Sunday mornings. And I don't just mean the sermon, okay? 
certainly the sermon, but not just the sermon and the things that, the words that we're singing to God and praise to him, the things that we're confessing with one another, that we believe about God and his word. How much have you availed yourself to other opportunities offered to you to learn and grow? Like the Bible studies that just started back up, like the community groups that are starting back up today. And how is being fed all those ways helping you feed yourself on the Word of God daily? That's how you become skilled in the Word of Righteousness. A sign of spiritual growth, a sign you're moving closer to God and not farther from Him is that you are growing up and turning a corner from not just always needing to be fed, but knowing how to feed yourself and then actually feeding others and teaching them how to feed themselves and then teaching them how to teach others to feed themselves and so on. Mature disciples make disciples. And Christians shouldn't be avoiding maturity. You know, it seems like it shouldn't be the case, but you realize the Bible is more available now than it ever has been. Ever, 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 ever in the history of the world. It's more available. It's so easy to get. You can have it for free. I mean, not just on your phone. Like, I'll give you one in the lobby, and lots of churches do that, you know? Just free Bibles. You can steal one from a hotel room. Don't do that, but people do. It's free. It's never been more accessible. It's never been more available. And it's the least read it's ever been, ever. Biblical illiteracy is rampant today, rampant. But what's really painfully clear here is that we should, as Christians, be growing in our knowledge of God's Word. We should becoming, be becoming skilled in it. And in fact, not doing that, he says, puts us in danger of staying spiritually immature, and that could lead to apostasy. It's not one for one, but it's one of those indicators that he gives. You know, it's not just theory, right? It's, it's something he, uh, he literally goes into in, in verse 4 and beyond. Again, we'll look more carefully at that next week. Now, staying spiritually mature is risky. It can lead to apostasy. Well, how does that happen? How does it lead to apostasy? How do you get there? Well, in chapter 5, verse 14 there, he says something about discernment, doesn't he? Those who can handle the solid food are better able, they're better equipped to be able to dis distinguish between good and evil. Being content with milk and never moving on to the meat means you're going to have a lack of discernment, and lacking discernment makes you vulnerable to apostasy. An immature Christian lacks the ability to see the difference between good and evil clearly when the lines start to get blurry. And that's what the enemy loves to do, is blur those lines. He doesn't use cut and dry ones starts to blur those lines. And the immature Christian can't see clearly. Start making exceptions where no exceptions should be made. We start arguing for things that we should never argue for. They can't see the hook that's underneath the bait. That's, that's what happens with 
undiscerning Christians. And that condition leads to the possibility of apostasy because that person's too easily swayed, see? They're just too easily swayed. The author's telling them, you don't have what it takes to stand firm on the teaching of God's word because you don't even really know it. Not really. You know, not enough, not enough to be able to use it when you really have to. I had a professor in seminary, probably my favorite professor in seminary. That's saying a lot. Had a lot of favorites. But he was the hardest tester. His exams were brutal. Because and I grew to appreciate it because what do tests normally do? It's usually like, okay, uh, here, here's a screwdriver, right? Here's how you use a screwdriver. Now show me you can use a screwdriver. Here's a hammer. Here's how you use a hammer. Now show me you know how to use the hammer. That's how most tests work, right? And you work through the whole tool bag that you acquired over the semester. What Dr. Anderson did is he would hand you the toolkit and be like, great, build me a house. <laughs> what? What that does, though, it forces you to think. You know, where you're forced into situations, scenarios, ideas. Now you've got to actually be able to take all the things that you learned and put it together in a way that makes sense. You have to be able to practice discernment. You have to make your knowledge matter. You see? If you can't do that, the author says, you're the weak one in the pack. It's easier for you to get picked off by the wolves. And y'all, in case you haven't been listening, there are wolves and they prey on the weak, the ones on the edges. You're more susceptible to false teaching and being influenced by ungodly influences when your diet only consists of milk and you're not skilled in the word of righteousness, he says. <clears throat> but let me encourage you with this before you get overwhelmed, okay? This is not difficult. This is not a difficult task. There's no need to come up with new and innovative ideas when it comes to this stuff about becoming skilled. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. God's people have always struggled with being dull of hearing, with having to be told the same things over and over again. They've always dealt with being forgetful and unskilled. So you know uh, one of those things that people that went before us did for us to help us, recognizing that? To leave us a little trail of breadcrumbs that lead from milk to meat? To make us skilled in the word of righteousness and help bring us to a maturity? They wrote catechisms. Questions and answers to work through and memorize so that you actually learn what it is you believe and why you believe it. People get uncomfortable with that. They say, well, that's so old-fashioned. Well, so is discipleship and biblical literacy. Those are things of the past, evidently. We must have left them somewhere back there, well, next to the catechisms. Now, I admit this. As a parent, I, I, I will fully admit, I have it so easy. Parents just have it easier. We have all the reason in the world to dust off the old catechisms. It's harder when you're single or if you're, you're married and don't have kids yet. It's harder to do. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but it is harder. I'll admit that. Be the first one to admit it. 
It's easy when you're a parent because when you have immortal souls that God has given you to care for and to disciple, there's a stronger nudge there to do it. It's just true. There is. It's a stronger motivator, so parents have it easier. They have all the reason in the world to value and use things that those have gone before us have left us, like catechisms, to instruct their children, to wean them off of milk and onto meat early. I was talking with somebody recently about that, you know? Is that going to save your kid? No, Jesus saves your kid just like everybody else. But when he does, when the lights come on, you've just given him a, a house furnished, ready to go, move in ready. So much he already knew that never made sense before now, but now, oh, I see, I'm not starting from scratch. It's part of those generational blessings God affords his people. And it's so fruitful, y'all, when you've done it for a while, your children begin asking questions about life, right? Not realizing they have the answers already. They've been over that, you know? And it gets really fun because you can take sort of what they're asking about, what they're curious about, what they're struggling with, and then you can begin to show them they, they know that we've been around that block already. They know that. And you connect the dots for them until they begin to connect the dots themselves. It's awesome. What happens when they never connect the dots themselves? Spiritual immaturity, which can lead to apostasy. Immature disciples are endangered disciples. Mature disciples make disciples. Like I said, parents do. We just have it easier because we have a captive audience already at home, right? They're not going anywhere. They're stuck. That's true. So work with what you have, right? Work with what you have. Listen carefully. Remember what you've heard. Become skilled in applying it, and you will be able to develop those powers of discernment he talks about here, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's move on. That's what the author says next, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. <clears throat> Something to note here that's really important, because people can read this wrong, end up asking questions they don't need to ask. He's not diminishing the elementary doctrine of Christ. Not even a little bit. When he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity, he's saying the groundwork has already been laid. The foundation has already been set. It's good. It's solid. It doesn't need fixing. It doesn't need replacing. Now, let's build on it, right? Can't build anything without that foundation. That's true, granted. But let's stop staring at a concrete slab on the floor and start putting up some walls and some windows and some doors. Let's put a roof on this thing. Let's bring some furniture in where people can come in and get warm and get around us so that they can get around Jesus. That's never going to happen, he says, if you stay stuck on milk. We have to be able to move past these elementary doctrines and begin building on them. And when he says elementary doctrines, he lists three of them there in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Repentance and faith, that's the first one. Basically, how you become a Christian, right? Repentance and faith. Instruction about washings, he says, referring to baptism and, and, and uh, the covenant community of the church, right? 
becoming a part of the church. And then the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You know, the understanding that when Christ returns, all the dead will be raised, some to eternal life with him and others to eternal judgment. Gotta have these, right? We can't get by without those. Gotta have those. But we need more than these. See, too often in the church today, we stop there. Get people saved and leave them stupid. We think that's all anyone needs to know, and we actually teach people to evangelize that way. And then we wonder why Billy leaves the church when he goes off to college. We wonder why little Susie, man, she was on fire right after that youth camp retreat she went to. A few weeks later, she's running with that same crowd and doing all the same stupid stuff she was before. Immature disciples are endangered disciples. They're vulnerable because their knowledge of God and His Word are about as deep as a puddle. The foundation's important, right? It's important, and it's the only one we need. But let's start building on it so you have a better working knowledge of what all that means, how it all works together. Not just so you'll be safer from uh, drifting into apostasy, so that you'll be more discerning, but also so that you can teach others to do the same thing. That's how the church grows and flourishes. So you can disciple others, because that's what mature disciples do. They make disciples. So what does moving beyond the basics look like for them and for us? It means being a serious student of the Bible. That means coming to church on Sunday and learning something. Where if you have questions, you ask, right? You seek out answers. Being a serious student of the Bible means attending Bible studies and other opportunities to learn and grow. It means not pretending you have something better to do with your time than to be together with your brothers and sisters in Christ to learn more about what God's Word says. Now, don't make me say what I'm not saying, okay? I will anyway. But nobody's saying, well, miss work, come to Bible study. Nobody's saying, you know, leave your sick wife and all the pile of kids at home and, and, and don't serve her and come to Bible study. Nobody's saying, you know, go an hour out of your way to make sure you get to Bible study. Nobody's saying that. But what I am saying is get out of bed earlier one morning a week, gentlemen. If you can, you know you can. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. If you can, you should. Make arrangements for it on Tuesday evenings, ladies. Make it happen. Get it on the calendar. Commit to it. It's a standing appointment because it's important. It matters. Make those arrangements. I know some of you are probably thinking, man, why is Josh putting the screws to us on the Bible studies this morning? Read that passage and ask that question again. There's a danger of apostasy that should concern every Christian. It's a warning that goes out to all Christians, not just the bad ones. The good ones. 
It's a means that God uses to keep his true believers on track. So there's no target on your back. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about anything. I wouldn't want to guilt you into anything. It's not what it's about. I do want to see all of us grow to maturity, to spiritual maturity. And look, Bible study, community groups, these are just some of the ways that we have available on the regular for you to do that. So why in the world would I not tell you to do that? Why wouldn't I say, you need to be there? Of course you do. It's literally my job, along with your elders, to present everyone mature in Christ, Colossians 1 says. It's a heavy load. Can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit working in us, working in you. But it's important. It's a charge. It's a solemn duty and responsibility. And it's not just to keep you out of the hot seat of apostasy, but so that you are equipped for the work of ministry. And y'all, that's something I'm really excited about right now because I believe our church is right there. We're right there. Not just one of us here and there. Not just 20% of the people doing 80% of the work like you often hear in churches, but every one of us as the body of Christ, as a living organism with many parts and many functions, being instruments in our Redeemer's hands that he likes to use to make disciples. That's what mature disciples do. They make disciples. And I dare say almost all of you here this morning should be teaching someone by now. Because you're able. You're, you're, you're not like these folks here who just don't have it. You do have it. Not because you don't get it, because you do. You get it. You certainly can't give anyone else what you don't have yourself, but so many of you already have so much. You can't teach anybody something you don't already know, but y'all know so much. Start teaching others. And here's what's cool. You'll start, you'll learn more faster as you begin to teach others. And the Lord will bless it. He will. And you may not think you have it all together. You may not think that, that you have what you need. You don't. <laughs> but he does. And he is pleased to use you. To use what you have. To use your feeble efforts to grow you and people that you're pouring into. Now, I don't want to just leave you with all that, like some big ideas swimming around in your head and no action steps to take. So let me just say this. Even if only five of you take me up on this, and I hope more than five of you will, if only five of you take me up on this, this is what I want the five of you to do, men and women. One simple step. Come see me after the service and just say something to the effect of, I'm in. I don't, know where, I don't know where we go from here. I'm probably weak in a lot of areas, but I recognize that I'm weak. I don't want to be weak anymore. I'm in. And if I'm talking to somebody else, don't wait, right? Don't find another opportunity. Go grab Robert. Tell him I'm in. Go, go grab Foster. David Campbell's not here this morning. You could tell him. But that's it. That's your homework. You have one little small step. You need a small step so it's not daunting, it's not overwhelming, it's not too much to take home and consider and try to freak out about. Don't freak out. One little thing. Just come, show up, say, here I am, send me. 
Start there and we'll go from there. Talk about it in community groups today too, right? When you get in your community groups today, talk about some of this. What's it look like to be in, to, to, to go to the next level, right? To, to mature, to become a serious student of the Bible, to become skilled in the word of righteousness. Spiritual maturity is something we should all desire, isn't it? Spiritual maturity is something we should all desire. It's not for some Christians and not for others. And the beauty of the thing is of belonging to God's covenant community in the church is we're not alone. We don't have to do it all by ourselves. We have each other. And you have capable leaders who care for you, they, that, that want that for you. You know, they, they love you and care for you. That's why you voted for them. Your elders are here for you. And y'all, like it or not, here's the deal, okay? We have work to do. We have work to do. I don't want you to think. We didn't miss anything, okay? We're not behind We're not behind on anything. It's not too late. It's perfect timing. Right now, in the life of this church, it is perfect timing for us to become mature disciples who make disciples. So let's get busy. Let's get excited about the idea of getting busy. We'll start there. And let's build on this foundation that we've been given. The Lord Christ laid down his life for his church, for his bride. And we, as his bride, united to him by faith, stand with him and are enjoined with him in his work here. That his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's start with Irmo. King's Church. What do you say? If you're in, just say so. Let's pray.